0: Welcome back to episode 97 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we do explore the highs and glories of ratings gain, but sometimes dive into the plateaus, and perhaps where I'm at, question mark, the pits of despair. If you'd like to support the show, you go to Patreon, Chess Journeys, and I want to thank Matt Bush, Jay Garrison, Donna Richburg, Brandon Halside, David Schreiber, Lindsey Newhall, and Jeff Peterson. You can always get merch on the merch store. Uh, I have been streaming quite a bit on Dr. Skull underscore tiny grinds. It's getting close to summer break where I will be streaming even more. Um, if you want to appear on the show, you can fill out the Google form in the show notes. We all want to hear your story. I often draw guests guest from those Google forms. Um, and another way you can start, uh, support the show is if you're interested in Noel Studer's uh, next level training program, there is a code in the show notes, show notes, which does um, support the show. ah, Okay, so now we are on to our guest today. We have Brad. Brad is a high school history teacher. Brad is married with two children, and he's an adult improver. If you're thinking like, Kevin, are you just interviewing yourself today? That is how I feel. So, Brad, welcome to the show, and have you had a chance to play any chess yet today?
1: Uh, So, summer just kicked off for me here so i did i have had a a little bit of chess today i've I've got to play a few blitz games uh nothing longer than some three plus two but uh enough to just uh keep the wheels going got to play at least a few games every day
0: (laughs) okay so what state are you in where summer break has already started and can i move there today
1: uh it's florida so it's really hot depends on if you can handle the heat it's Although it this has been like the mildest summer we've ever had so far. Hmm. The like we've only been in the low 90s a lot lately, so it's really been kind of nice.
0: Mm, that is disturbing that you're describing the low 90s as kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, here in Los Angeles, we have two more weeks of school to go, so we are bravely carrying on with our mission of education and learning. So, we'll see what happens. All right, Brad. Well, let's start here. Um, I'm always interested to hear what people's backstories are with chess. I want to ask the question that I ask most people. Did you play as a child or did you just kind of pick this up as an adult?
1: So I first learned how to play chess when I was pretty young. I was probably like five or six. Um, I played nightly games with my dad. He knew how to play and we played pretty often. Um, but I don't even think we actually knew all of the rules to chess, but we just loved to play. Like I remember, cause I just taught my, I've been teaching my dad recently and uh, I just explained castling and en passant to him. <laughs> and so I I'm thinking back to when we were playing as kid or when I was a kid, he was obvious. He was my dad, but uh, I don't think we played very, uh, very high level games, but it was uh it was something I did as a kid playing with him and then uh Get into school and whatnot and just kind of never really look at chess. Uh play, you know, played a lot of sports, uh, was focused more on that kind of stuff. And then uh after high school, I ended up working in the casino industry. I was a poker dealer Hmm. for about 10 years. Um, and chess was pretty big in the casino. Like people just like all the dealers love to play chess. And so they got me to download chess.com and we just had like I don't know. I probably had 20 or 30 daily games going at any one time. And every time we'd go on break, we'd play a quick game with one another. And that's kind of what got me back into chess a little bit as an adult for a little while. And then... Well, let's I stop let there the... for a second. That sounds yeah, sorry, fascinating.
0: So when you say you would play on breaks, were you guys playing on your phone? Or did you have like a, a portable set you were breaking out?
1: So we had both. Um, we would have... Because on a any... We get several breaks in casinos the way the structure is, Mm -hmm. Um, but we would have normally one or like a little plastic portable board in the break room, and then you'd have three or four of us playing on our phones as well.
0: Oh, wow. And were people good at chess, or was it kind of that same thing with your dad, where it was like they were having fun? It wasn't about domination. It was just about having some fun playing chess.
1: So at the time, I didn't know who was good. Like I thought I was all about it. I I thought I was great. Turns out I was about a nine hundred elo player. That's um, pretty great. Yeah. So that was that was where I was at the time. Looking back, um, we had one guy Z who just crushed everyone. Mm. And now him and I have still kept in contact. He's about uh, I think he's eighteen hundred rapid.
0: Oh wow. Okay.
1: So he was destroying all of us because none of us really studied openings or knew any theory i didn't even know the basic principles about controlling the center or anything like that yeah so we would just but we love to play and we work in casinos so we also love to gamble so i mean oh. we had like me and my friend Tommy played i don't know games all the time 20 50 a game and this is the battle between 800 900 elo players <laughs> Oh,
0: my goodness. This is some high-stakes 900 ELO chess going on here.
1: Yeah, uh, and th- that was the funny thing about it, though, is none of us actually knew how bad we were because we, uh, we didn't play with anyone outside of our little ecosystem.
0: Yeah, so did Z, like, get a second home from this, or how did this work?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody gambled with Z because we just okay. all knew we would lose. Okay, see, that's
0: smart. At least you're smart enough to know do not play high stakes money games with a guy who automatically wins every time. Okay. That's good.
1: Yeah. None of us could figure out how to beat him. So we just decided nobody was going to gamble with Z.
0: Okay. I want to ask this question because I'm, I'm, I'm curious what the answer is. Is there a little part of you that's like, that was actually the most fun I've ever had playing chess when none of us knew we were bad and we were just having a great time. And there was a whole bunch of us and we could just play each other.
1: Uh, yeah. Honestly, I enjoy tournaments and things now. I enjoy playing online. I enjoy improving, but there was nothing more fun than just all of us sitting around talking trash, yelling at each other, talking about how, how terrible of a move you just made. You don't even know. And, and we were all terrible, but it was just fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Those sound like the most fun times. Now it's like, serious and we want to get better and we have this number that keeps flashing at us like no this is your exact skill level don't you want this to go up and you're like yes I do actually
1: <laughs> I care about oh. that number so much yeah and yet I shouldn't
0: <laughs> it's funny because I feel like before the chess boom kids at my school played quite a bit of chess had no idea they were bad and just had a great time with it and they would randomly challenge me, like very confidently, like, Kevin, let's play. I'm going to beat you so badly. And I was like, OK. And then they would lose every time and be shocked. And now with the chess boom, they're all on chess.com. They know the precise rating. And they'll be like, Kevin, do you play chess? And I'm like, yeah. And then I tell them my rating. They're like, whoa, you're like a god. I could never beat you. And I'm like, what happened? Just last year, you thought you could beat me you know, with your eyes closed. So I don't know. I don't know if it's been better or worse for them. I'm not, I'm not quite sure.
1: And I'm not sure whether that's gotten better or worse, but it, it, yeah, I guess it does take a little bit of the mystery out of it, that I used to, cause I, I was so confident about how great I was. And yet I wasn't like, I look back at that and I'm like, my God, I didn't even know how the pieces really moved. And now <laughs> I look at where I'm at now and I I'm so much better than I was. And I look and I'm thinking, man, I'm just really, really not growing as fast as i want to i'm not getting as high as i want you know i, I look at where mm. i'm at now is not being good enough and it's just nope. night and day difference from where i was
0: yeah and if you could have taken that level of skill into that room you would have just destroyed everybody
1: yeah it would have been it would have been uh a, a, a great money-making endeavor at the time
0: <laughs> yeah you would have been b there would have been z and b they wouldn't have even said your <laughs> whole name because they had
1: been so scared of you <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay so you've been playing chess sort of just like for fun no improvement goals just having a fun time do you feel like you got any better in that period or is it more just like having a great time
1: it was really just having fun um there was honestly I didn't improve uh, changed changed things up I had like I said I didn't even know anything about controlling the center or even the coordinates on a board so like mm-hmm. I'm opening you know opening up with playing the ready without realizing it just because i'm like well let's get the night out well, that's not really the ready because now I'm going to bring the other knight out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the four knights defense you know, with
1: no pawns. Exactly. So I mean, playing all kinds of craziness, and but there was it wasn't really a thought to spend time on this to improve it. was just something that we all did for enjoyment, and yeah. I it didn't really cross my mind to like study or learn about it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how that works. Okay, so you uh you've been playing chess with your buddies in the casino. I imagine that's still not your approach. I imagine you're trying to get better. So what what changed that sort of altered the trajectory of your chess career?
1: So for me, um, after I left the casino, I kind of fell away from chess for a while. Um, I got married and had kids. And so I wasn't uh, having as much time to play chess. And so I just, and when I wasn't around people that were playing, so I just kind of fell away from it altogether. Mm. Then Queen's Gambit happened. And I was like, oh. I used to like chess and me and my wife watched it together. So I, uh, redownloaded chess.com and it was actually at this time that, um, at the same time I started playing a little bit. And then my, um, my mom came down with a, uh, got a pretty serious, uh, cancer diagnosis. Mm. Um, and so I, I had a lot of trouble during that cause it was, you know, it's my mom I care about her a lot. And, uh, so I used, started playing bullet chess, like nonstop. Because I realized when you're playing bullet chess, your entire brain is focused. That's the only thing you can think about. There's no worries anywhere else. It doesn't matter what else is happening out in the world. And so I used it as like a coping mechanism. Mm. And uh, that was what got me back into chess and to where like I started playing all the time. And then for about, I played from about April of 2021 till about November of 2021 without just playing a ton, but not really getting better. And at that time, um, I think YouTube realized that I was uh, saying the word chess a lot. Uh-huh. And so it, in November of 2021, I found Gotham Chess on YouTube. Uh-huh. And then so I started watching his videos and they were entertaining. And then I started finding this educational stuff. And I was like, oh, well, what if I do study it? What if I try and learn some of this basic stuff? And so then I, um, I started doing the little lessons on chess.com. Watching uh, Levy Rosman's educational content and his entertaining stuff, and then that pushed me on to finding Daniel Naroditsky, and so just kind of fell down the uh, the Twitter or the YouTube rabbit hole, and started focusing on, well, if I'm going to play this all the time, why don't I try and get better at it too?
0: Nice. So where were you, sort of ratings wise, before you discovered the one and only Gotham Chess?
1: So uh, my rapid was about nine fifty at the time. Okay, so you're really so that was kind of like my base level.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're pretty early in your journey. And then, what happened? Like, how? What kind of effect did it have? Thinking to yourself, like, oh, I'm actually gonna sort of start watching videos and try to improve. Was it sort of a rapid improvement, and did it take a while?
1: Um, it was pretty rapid initially because I just need. Uh, it helped learning the basic principles of development getting castled controlling the center kind of trying to be more aggressive and i realized being aggressive early on was um was something i enjoyed in chess you know Mm -hmm. sacking pieces taking risks all that kind of stuff um so i kind of i went from about 950 to in the the first year so i went from about 950 up to about
0: 1500 oh wow okay so what did you Um, do in that year, that got you such a massive jump. Because I'm sure a lot of people's ears just parked up and went, whoa, wait, wait, wait. 950 to 1500
1: in a year? I'm interested, Brad. What are the secrets? So for me, I realized that starting out every chess game, because I know they always say don't study openings, you know, yep. focus on tactics. And so that's what I was trying to do. But I realized starting every chess game, I was nervous because I didn't mm-hmm. know what to do. I didn't have a general plan or an idea. Right. So um, that was honestly, I I was had fallen in love with Gotham Chess and the way he presented material and stuff. So I um, bought his E4 repertoire course for white. Hmm. Um, and I didn't spend a ton of time studying it, but I learned the basic ideas for, you know, what I'm going to, when I'm seeing the French or when they're playing E5 or Sicilian or Caro. Like I started learning at least, two, three, four moves. That was all I focused on was learning the first like three, four moves of an yep. opening to where I could get into the same kind of situation every time. So then I could start um, feeling more comfortable there. And that was really what what it was for me was focusing on that as, as far as getting a little bit of a level of comfort to get into the middle game.
0: Yep. Um,
1: and then I just slowly expanded the opening knowledge from there.
0: Okay, gotcha. So step one sounds like Having an opening repertoire. And for you, what that means is plans, ideas, and a couple moves. You haven't gone on Chessable and started memorizing 12, 15 moves deep. And then on move three, your opponent plays a weird move. And you go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? That was the wrong move. That happened to me this weekend. I went to uh, <laughs> Coffee Chess, which is there's a YouTube channel, Coffee Chess. It's in LA. So I went there. And we were playing the Karakon. And I thought we were just playing the classical variation my opponent made a very weird move on move three or no, it was like move four. And I think it was just intentionally like to take me out of book. Right. In case I know this opening, and I'm like, what? And it took me like 30 seconds to make my next move, but we only have five minutes and he's looking at me <laughs> funny, and I'm like, you know, you've taken me out of book here. Like, I don't, I, I imagine that was unintentional. And he's like, Oh yeah, I would never want to do that to you. So, yeah, it's, you know, it can both be done by people who don't know the opening and then also just by people who don't want to go down that pathway with you. So, yeah, I think it's such a such great advice to get that comfort level, get the confidence, but not go like straight memorization.
1: Yeah, because I thought that at first I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to spend all this time memorizing all these different things and then I'll be great at chess. And then I was like, that was my first idea. And so I spent, you know, the first night or so I spent like an hour or two. And yeah. then it was like, yo, this is going to be really, really hard to try and memorize all this. Stuff. I have a good memory, but <laughs> my God, like that, there's just too yeah. much. And especially like you said, then all of a sudden, you know, the 1100 I'm playing at the time, you know, I'm like an 1100 player and all of a sudden, uh, wait, what, what is that move? That, <laughs> that, yeah. It can't be good, but if you don't know how to refute it, yep. then it can't, it's not bad either. If you don't make yep. it, if you don't make them pay for it, there's nothing that, you know, th- actually wrong with the move.
0: <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of moves that are just not best. And so they're not really covered in courses and they're not the main line. But like, when I look at over the board, I'm like, this looks fine. And then I put it into the engine the engine's like, yeah, it's totally fine. Why were you, why are you so worried? And I'm like, cause it's not the main line. That's why I was so worried.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so then you're worried about all that. And so that's when I realized I, by gaining a little bit more knowledge, I realized how little I actually knew. Mm. And I think that was really eye opening. And I started, you know, following some of these, cause I, I just fell in love with the game. I mm. fell in love with how beautiful these different things were, these peace interactions. And um, I started, you know, watching grandmaster games and watching, you know, the world championship and following all this stuff watching these different recaps from people. And uh, then I fell into Twitter. I mean, Twitch and started watching all these streamers, watching Hikaru and Dania and all these different guys. And I just kind of fell in love with the game. And I realized, Holy crap. That is a totally, it's it's like watching golf for me. Cause I like to play mm-hmm. golf and I watch a golfer on TV. And I'm like, that's not, we're not playing the same sport. <laughs> it's the same thing with the, when I'm playing chess, I like yeah. to play chess. But then I watch these grandmasters play, and I'm like, yeah, that's not even the same sport. We're we're not doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, golf is such a great comparison. Because I remember I did similar things. Like you watch someone golf and you're like, okay, so they are going to put this much backspin to try to roll it this close to the hole. And then I tried to do it. I was like, I would just love the ball to go straight-ish. Like backspin, what are we talking about? Like that's not even <laughs> my
1: radar. Exactly. If, if it could just not go take a 90-degree turn to the right, I'll be happy.
0: Yeah, if it doesn't hit anyone, we're doing well. Okay, so you uh, have started working on your openings. You said you were working on tactics. What were you doing to work on your tactics?
1: Um, So I just, uh, I paid for the Chesscoms premium membership and I started just playing puzzles Mm because I heard, all right, do these puzzles. And honestly, it it definitely has helped me tremendously, but it wasn't until probably about six months ago or four or five months ago that I realized I was doing puzzles wrong the whole time. Uh Uh-oh, what does that mean? Well, I wasn't, I I guess I was not doing them wrong, but I just would rush through them and then let the computer give me the answer and then go back through it and see the pattern. And yes, I'm getting some pattern recognition, but I'm not forcing my brain to actually calculate these lines. I'm Uh, just like, oh yeah, that looks like it works. Let's try it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's only actually been probably the last six months that I've realized, (laughs) no, you should actually just try and calculate all the different, try and calculate the line to completion. Mm Mm-hmm. And not just guess, oh, this looks right.
0: Yeah, this looks forcing, it's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a, a great lesson. Um, I had Noel Studer on a couple episodes ago and he really thinks that unless you write down your line, you're doing it wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Have you been have you been writing down your lines at all?
1: I have not been writing down my lines. I actually uh Still
0: doing it wrong, man.
1: I'm, yeah, still apparently. Just I can't do it right. Um I've gotten pretty good at the uh, uh, visualization is kind of, is something I'm, I feel like I'm naturally pretty decent at. I can follow Mm. the lines um, in my head pretty well as I'm, if I have a board in front of me or uh, you know, a position on the screen, like when I'm following, listening to these grandmasters rattle off lines, they do it so fast that you can barely keep up with them or I can't even keep up with them when they rattle it off super fast. But when they're, taking it nice and slow for a for a decent audience i can follow it i don't have to actually make the moves so the right. visualization thing is something I, I do pretty well with
0: okay that's cool yeah that, that's an important skill um okay so you're doing some tactics um all on chess.com or have you done like some chess bowl stuff have you gotten any books
1: so i um i was pretty much doing it all on chess.com and then i started uh you know, I joined essentially the chess punks community on Twitter Mm -hmm. and that has opened my eyes to all kinds of different, um, different websites, different things to, um, to look at. So I, I do have a chessable account where I've downloaded some free content. Um, I, I, you know, really enjoy their stuff, but it's just, it's so intense and I don't have enough time to spend studying as much as I would like. I honestly probably, Play 90%, study 10%. And I know that's not a great winning recipe to improvement, but I don't, you know, I'm in my 30s. I'm not never going to be a grandmaster. I just love the game. I mean, going from 900 to 1500 in a year lets
0: (laughs) me know that maybe it is a good recipe for improvement. Um, Okay, one of the things I've been doing lately is uh, the steps method. I got uh, a book four. And I actually write down all of the answers and I don't know. I think it's going okay. I mean, my uh, over-the-board rating disagrees, but uh, I feel like I'm getting stronger.
1: (laughs) That's actually the one that I was uh, just recently, uh, I was reading a Grandmaster article about the steps method and I was looking at possibly getting one of the um, tactics workbooks or getting some of the different sets because um, as a teacher, I actually also run the chess club at my school.
0: Ah, yeah.
1: So I love having, you know, my students are always asking me, well, what can we do with this? So I try and point them to different direction if they're serious about improvement. Um, But a lot of times they just really enjoy playing. So we get together on Mondays and play a bunch. But I was looking at uh, the steps method to bring some material to school.
0: Yeah, I think it's a it's pretty great. I mean, it's just basically if you get the workbooks, they're just puzzles. There's like no text in it. Um it's it's pretty good. I I've been uh enjoying it. I've been doing that and I do a lot of uh unchestable. I just keep going through the easy woodpecker puzzles. I'm not doing the woodpecker method, I just keep cycling through them and missing tons of them. It's really embarrassing. I've probably done them all 10 times and I keep missing them. So um yeah, I don't know. Maybe my brain is broken. That's that's another problem for another podcast, though. So uh have you done anything with strategy? Has that been a focal point Uh, at all in your work?
1: So I, um, yes, I I recently worked with a coach for the last um, about three months uh, for a time period um, as I was getting ready for my first over the board tournament that I played back in like March, I guess, so maybe I was working with the coach. Yeah, since about February to kind of get some ideas about what to expect uh, to where, where should I, what should I be focusing on to improve myself? Um, so that's kind of what was my idea of working with the coach. And the thing that I realized with working with the coach was one, how just looking at the board differently, um, how they, how these much higher rated players, how differently they see the board from a starting point. Um, and so I started trying to emulate the way they look at the board. Uh, and by that, I started trying to Every time I look at a board, focus on, okay, do a quick count of the material, which isn't always, it's a must, but in, start looking at that. Look at every piece interaction and pawn interaction. Because I realized for me, I oftentimes would overlook two pieces that were actually in contact hmm. because I just didn't look at that part of the board for long enough time. I didn't give myself time enough to think about it yeah. um, and really focusing on the way can this piece see this? No, is it because they don't see each other or because there's a piece in the middle. Okay. There's some interaction there still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as far as a strategy of like really taking the time to evaluate each position was something that uh, helped me.
0: Interesting. And this is something you got mostly from coaching lessons.
1: Yeah, this was some, I don't think this is necessarily what, um, it wasn't like this is what they were trying to teach me. They were, we would go through some different grandmaster games and uh, do some different uh, practical in-game exercises, which I think was probably one of the most valuable things that I've I've learned of recent note is hmm. just some basic practical in-games of how to draw certain position, certain, you know, uh, rook and king in-games, you know, when they have one pawn, when there's two pawns, depending on where the pawns are at, can you still draw this, and being able to evaluate that and recognizing that those are like recognizing how to do those. Um, the practical aspect, that was one thing I learned from the coach. Um, but the thing I picked up myself that looking back over the lessons was how differently they, that he analyzed the board every time he came up to the board and would talk about it. And that was something I, I pulled out afterwards.
0: Right. Gotcha. So it's like in, looking at grandmaster games, you're learning some strategy, you're seeing how a higher level player would go through a game and then examine a position. And you can kind of feel yourself growing as you're like, wow,
1: I would have never thought to look for that in a position. Right, exactly. And that that's something that I think has been helpful.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the most useful things about having a coach is having that that better eye, whether that's your own games, whether that's grandmaster games, just someone who can see that board a little bit better than you, no matter what level you are having someone 400 points better than you to, to look at a game with. It's just so incredibly valuable.
1: I I couldn't agree more. That is, um, that was honestly the reason I kind of went looking for a coach because the people that I uh, interact with as far as like, on chess, we're discussing chess games and things like that are more often my students. And I have some pretty strong students. Um, you know, some of my 14, 15 year olds are, uh, one, he's about a 14, he's about 1400 rapid on chess.com. Um, yeah. And so, but I don't have someone that's, that's that higher level. That's pushing me to see these ideas. Um, and so that was kind of, uh, like you pointed out, that was really useful having those interactions and listening to the way they described a position or what they were looking at. Yeah. How did you choose a coach? Uh, Honestly, I was, I I went through the, uh, like Lee chess has like a whole listing of different coaches and I just scrolled through a ton of them and started just shooting people emails.
0: Cool. Okay. And did you like the first coach that you worked with? Is that the coach you ended up working with for a while or did you go through any coaches?
1: So I, um, I, I did a couple like trial lessons here or there, like two or three of them and just didn't really connect. And then about the third one, um, we just kind of hit it off and it was, he was, you know, uh, he was a Argentinian player who's about uh 2200 feet. a, Nice. And so we would do our, uh, sessions over Skype and, or actually probably zoom, but, um, but do it over online. And it was, it was really nice. Cause he was, we, I think we just, it was important to have that uh, personality connection to where it was easy to talk to uh, easy for me to just blurt out my stupid ideas that don't make any sense. I'm like, Oh yeah, no, that does hang a queen. Let's not do that. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. Um, But it was nice having, having someone who I guess I didn't feel looked down upon in uh, because my, you know, be him being so much higher rated and that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of nice.
0: That's cool. I, I think it isn't a sort of overlooked piece of coaching is that I feel like people will contact a coach who's a lot better than them and be like, this is a great coach. And even if it's not really working, they're like, well, it's a me problem because I know this coach is great. And that may be true that that coach is great. But I, I think you're right. You really do want to feel comfortable with the coach and so if it's not working out don't feel bad you know you you can change coaches and try to find someone who just kind of resonates a little bit more with you yeah
1: i think that's i think that's super important
0: yeah okay so you said you were prepping for your first tournament so um i want to hear about this first tournament stories are always the most fun so i guess first question is like were you nervous going in did you go in confident like what were your thoughts?
1: I was so nervous going in because I was doing something that they, that every, every piece of advice that I'd, I'd heard said not to do. And I didn't play the lowest section. I played one section up from the bottom. Okay. Um, which was, it was the lowest section was uh, under a thousand. And then the second lowest section was under 1200 USCF. Mm-hmm. And what, so was that's, your, uh,
0: what was your online rating at that point?
1: At that point, my online rating was, my rapid was about 15, about 1550, somewhere around there. I was still pushing for 1600 at the time.
0: Okay. So did you go into this tournament thinking like, I'm like almost 1600. I'm playing in the under 1200 section. Yeah, I'm nervous, but like, let's be real.
1: I'm probably going to win this thing. Oh, no, because I I, I looked at that uh, that online thing, uh, this online ratings calculator thing to kind of uh, take your online and kind of transform it into what you would be about USCF. And so my whole thought process was, okay, if I play up a section, hmm. I don't think I'll lose every game, <laughs> but I think it'll be hard. Yeah. And I wanted something hard. I was worried that if I did play in the under 1,000 section that I might just be better than that section and Mm. i didn't want easy games yeah because i don't get to play a lot of over the board and i've heard that from everyone you can learn so much from these over the board games and from playing this over the board tournament so i wanted the games to be hard i wanted to not lose everything but i wanted Mm -hmm. to be challenged and maybe i could surprise myself and do awesome or not
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay i hear you I'm uh, I'm playing in June in Vegas, and I entered the under 2100 section, and my USCF went, has gone in three months from 1759 to 1660 or something, so like I'm a little bit underrated for this section, and on a free fall also, so we'll see how this goes. All right, well, Brad, how did your tournament go then?
1: So I come in, game one, I'm playing against an 1100, I'm unrated. I sit down at the board, I've got the white pieces, and I blow him off the board. I found a I found a great tactic on move 10 and mm-hmm. just I won a piece and then just seamlessly converted and it wasn't a problem. The nice. first game I was like, oh my god, maybe <laughs> I maybe I have a shot. Maybe I can win all these games. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I tr- I was like, I, I spent my time. I I took a while to play this game. I was like, I didn't rush. Man, man, this isn't as hard as I thought. Okay, that was a terrible idea to have. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. I came back in game two and uh, blunder a piece on move six. Oh, just, just trap my knight on the edge of the board, and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, he could do that. I, did, <laughs> I, I didn't see that. <laughs> uh oh. So Uh-oh. I, I fought tooth and nail for the rest of the game. Yeah, But he just – he smoothly converted. he. Uh, and when he got the chance to force the queens off and leave himself with uh, – he was forcing the queens and the rooks off, and he just has a knight and up a pawn. Mm. And so I resigned at that point. And then game three turnaround, I'm playing – the one thing that I asked my coach, I was like, hey, I don't really know what to do against the English. Uh-oh. And so – I'm worried that you know you get into like these intermediate ranges, and I know a lot of players like to experiment with these different openings. It's mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of worried about the English. He goes, "Okay, so here's what we do, and we came up with a a very kind of systematic approach, very um, kind of almost like a semi-Slav uh, okay. setup." Yep. And I sit down, got to play C4 on the first move, and I forget everything.
0: <laughs>
1: uh oh. <laughs> oh boy this this game ends up being just a nightmare of just I'm in a bad position the whole time just for the entire game. And then we get into an end game where I'm down four pawns. Wow. Okay. And I just don't give up. I keep, you know, poking and prodding and seeing if I can get something here or there. And I simplify it down into a drawn rook end game. Wow. Uh, He has one pawn. I left him with the a and I pinned his king on the edge of the board, and I fought for this tooth and nail to get this draw, and that was actually the game I was happiest with throughout the entire tournament. Uh, games four and five, just four, I get beat by an 11-year-old girl who was really, really good.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
1: That will happen. And she just, like st- – stole my soul throughout this game it was just like amazing i was like there's no way she's gonna see this i was like that's the only defense i was like yeah. i was in a very comfortable i love the caro that's what i play as yeah. black against e4 and i'm i know the caro better than anything else i know and man she would t- she just spent all of her time mm. and just found it and she just played astoundingly well and the um the thing I was most impressed with her was her patience Yeah, at such a young age. It was just like amazing to see. So I really didn't even mind losing to her because wow, she was, it was really cool. Like it was a great game. I made one mistake at the end and it happens. Hmm. And then game five, I lost, but you know, it wasn't a bit, wasn't a big deal. I was happy with the tournament overall because even aside, aside from the second game where I lost, there was plenty of, or where I just lost a piece and then lost the game, there was so much to learn from all these games as I reviewed them over time.
0: Nice. And so have you done that? Have you you know, gone over them by yourself and maybe with another person and really dove into these games?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I've gone through uh, – I went through each one of the games with um, a friend while I was at the tournament. I uh, made, met some people, some fellow chess punks, um, and went over the games with them, and then I went over the games with my coach as well and then i've just spent time myself looking back and going through the game and say saying okay not just the thing i did for a while was i looked at the game only from my perspective uh, okay. and then i started looking trying to look at it from the other perspective okay well i can't talk to the person but what do i think their ideas were in this situation yeah what were they thinking as they did this and i'm trying to extract as much juice out of these games as i can um and it's been really I feel like I've learned so much from just those five over-the-board games that were really long. And that was the thing I I don't think that I ever fully appreciated from hearing people say, Oh, it's exhausting. Hmm. Oh, I felt like I could sleep for a week after those after those matches.
0: <laughs> yeah, what was your time control?
1: Uh they were um 80 minutes for the first 40 moves. Um with a d30 and then an additional uh 30 minutes added at, after the 40th move
0: okay so you didn't come into your first over the board tournament doing like a more rapid style or like a 40 minute you went the full-on classical yeah
1: okay. i wanted to jump into it and try and like yes let's go let's nice. all the way in. i'm gonna i'm gonna last i'm gonna play this game and it's gonna take two hours yeah and then my wife's like you're gonna do you're gonna play a chess game <laughs> for two hours why yeah.
0: Right. Is there something wrong with you?
1: Are you all right? right? Nope. like, No, I'm so excited. She's like, I don't understand this at all.
0: Yeah. The all hardest right, part for me is I return from these tournaments and I'm exhausted and just spent. And my wife's like, well, now that you had this awesome vacation by yourself, like you can take over everything. And I'm like, oh, you don't understand. But OK, that's fair. Like, that's definitely a fair point
1: it's fair but my god when you come back you're feeling dead and you're like but can can i just have like one more day to just like catch up on a little bit of sleep or rest and then you know what you're right it's fair <laughs> i was gone
0: <laughs> yep that's a tough one i think game three that you were describing really summarizes the difference between over the board chess and in-person chess or at least the long games is that like when you're down four pawns going into an end game my guess is over the uh online and like uh short rapid game or something you're just kind of like i'm dead whatever moving on and your resistance level is much lower but when this is like your one game for the next four hours you're like i don't care i'm gonna just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and then your opponent is like Would this dude just resign already he's down four pawns and then before you know it you clawed your way all the way back to a draw i kind of feel bad for your opponent in this story brad i kind of feel bad for them
1: I'll be honest. I kind of felt bad for him because I offered because, because when I looked at it, when we finally, because he had given me the look a few times, like, come on, man. Like, all right. Okay. All right. We're just get. we're going to keep playing. All right. right. That's fine. We're going to, we're going to keep playing. And, and if it had been a blitz game, uh, you know, resign, start a new game. Let's go. Yeah, right. um, but like you said, because this is, this is it. I wanted to try and squeeze all the water from this solid piece of stone that I had in front of me. And I got a couple drops out of there. Uh, And it was, that's one of the games I look back and I, I really love the most. I really love looking through because going through it with the engine and analyzing that game and seeing how utterly dead I was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The engine's probably like your best move here is to resign.
1: Yeah, it's like, can you just stop already? I, I I put an M on the evaluation. It's M in 47, but like we'll get there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, what did you do to prepare for this tournament? Did you do anything special, or did you just kind of go in and say, I'm going to have fun and play a tournament?
1: Um, so I did a quick review every night of about 20 minutes uh, for the week leading up. I spent 20 minutes a night just going through the most – like common scene lines in the E4 openings, I was play that I play. Mm. Um, you know, what I play against the French or the Sicilian, things like that. Uh, go through the first, you know, six, seven moves and just kind of refresh myself on those for like 20 minutes a night and then not play chess. Oh, okay. And then I just didn't play, um, for a lot of the week preceding, um, because I wanted to give myself a little brain break and to be as fresh Mm. as I possibly could.
0: That's so smart. I have such a hard time because I think we're in these similar spots where we just kind of have limited free time. Like if I happen to have limited free time, even on a day when I am playing a tournament game at 7 PM that night, I'm still kind of like, what, I'm really going to not study today and waste that small opportunity I have. And sometimes I burn myself out before I even get to the game and then my coach would be like, "What is wrong with you? Like, you're not supposed to do that." And I'm like, "I know, but I have such a limited time. I don't know. It's a real problem." I,
1: like. I feel I feel exactly what you're talking about there because I was feeling that way, and for a long time, even if I was going to play, you know, I knew I was going to play a longer game that night on, you know, online. I was, I, I knew the kids were going to be asleep, the wife's going to be doing whatever she's doing, and I could just focus and sit down and play like a longer time control game online. I would still play all day. It didn't matter. I would still, you know, Oh, I got a short break. I'm going to play fire up a couple blitz games here and there. Uh, and it, it would always be like that. But recent in the last couple of months, I have realized I was starting to feel a little burnt out because mm. for me, it's been for about the last year and a half, it's been chess nonstop pretty much all the time for me. It's, it's, I, I, dove in head first you know head over heels fell in love with the game and i've just been playing nonstop. but i realized you know and if i wasn't playing i was watching a youtube video if i wasn't watching a youtube video i was going over an annotated text i mean i was clicking th- reading through a book you know uh amateur to I am the book about the basic end games um mm. and you know just it, it was chess all the time no matter what i was doing there was it was chess involved whether it was for entertainment or for studying or playing, it was chess nonstop. And a couple months ago, I said, I'm going to burn myself out completely into where I don't want to play at all. So let's not do that. And mm-hmm. so I've made myself take a step back and take a good, I, I try and set myself aside, even if it's after everyone goes to bed, 30 minutes to an hour every day, to read a book that's just hmm. it's not chess it's a sci-fi or fancy fantasy book because that's what i love that's what i enjoy to read wait they
0: make non-chess books still
1: yeah they it's it's surprising too i i didn't oh. realize it at the time yeah. like there are not because i hadn't bought a non-chess <laughs> book in like a, a year and a half yeah it's been while. Um, so i'm doing that the last um i don't know probably two months or three months has actually helped me one love the game even more than I was, mm-hmm. but also it's helped me actually get better. My I've improved. I've, you know, I hit a recent rapid peak of 1698. I was just almost hit that 1700 Ooh. mark. Um I was nice. right, right there. Uh, I nice. didn't quite make it, but uh I think that's helped me by taking a step back. It's kind of like that one step back to take two steps forward kind of thing. I was, I was realizing that I was doing it all the time and kind of burning myself out, even though it something I still was like, no, I love it. But I think it was just kind of sometimes too much for your brain to, to actually absorb all that information and do anything useful with it. Cause I'm just constantly adding in more, you know, more stimuli from another game, another game.
0: Yeah. I've been doing something similar lately where I've been trying to focus a little bit more on playing. I think my study to play ratio used to be like maybe 65% studying, 35% playing. And I've tried to sort of flip that around. And then also the new Legend of Zelda game came out. And, you yeah, know, I don't have endless time, so I'm not very far into it. But my daughter and I play together. I play a little bit more without her. It's like Minecraft meets Legend of Zelda, so she loves that piece of it. so i'm trying to I'm trying to do a little bit more stuff to uh, avoid uh, the burnout and give my brain a little bit of a break as well,
1: yeah, that's the thing that I think is helping is helping the most is if you take a step back and give your brain time to process back in your subconscious, you know we yeah as educators, we know about the different you know pedagogical theories about saying, you know, take time, let your brain just process, just keep cramming the information. There's not actually going to help you remember it. Yeah, And giving your brain that actual break is important.
0: So have have you had a chance to play in any more tournaments? Or was this a, like a one-off for you? Is it really hard for you with your family situation to get out to tournaments?
1: Yeah. I mean, my kids are young. Uh, my son will be seven in August and my daughter's five. So, mm-hmm. you know, time away for uh, even to I played a tournament here. I live in Orlando, Uh, played a tournament down in or uh, that was here in Orlando and it was still, just, it takes up the whole weekend or three days. So I've only played the one so far, but I'm looking at, there's a couple more happening this summer that I was looking at, but I'm actually about to have knee surgery next week. So I'm going to not really be able to travel or anything. So I'm looking at maybe one in the fall. I figured I talked to my wife about it when she was like, Well, how often are you gonna do these chess things, these chess tournaments? Yeah. And I was like, I'm thinking like maybe like one or two a year. She's like, I like the sound of one more than two, but all right, two is not bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this summer I because we're ball teachers, you understand, I'm trying to do like three this summer, and that's kind of a big number. My my family's kind of like, Really? Like that's that's a lot of chess tournaments in one summer. So We'll see. Maybe two will be more of a reality. But I, I hear you on that one. So so you had a great time with the chess tournament. You're looking forward to going back. It's just the realities of life sort of holding you back from being able to do it more.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you got ballet on one night and you got baseball on two other <laughs> nights and then baseball. Oh, no, we have another one on Saturday. All right. Oh, then there's a birthday party on Sunday and yeah. then you get together to see family or this, that and the other. And you know, it's not always worth, as much as I love chess, it's just not always worth it, giving up your family time.
0: Yeah, it's tough. During soccer season, it's really hard for me. There's always, I don't know, one to three soccer games every single weekend. And so it's kind of like, okay. And I was like, wait, wait, there's going to be a week off? I might be able to do a one-day tournament that weekend. So, yeah, that's been interesting. It's been nice having my um, eight-year-old into chess. So we are, we're able to play every Wednesday night together. And that's like a fun thing we do together. So, so that's that's been fun. So there's the key, man. You've got two young children. You need to steer one into chess.
1: Oh, well, they both already play. They both play on chess kids on their tablet.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So They cool.
1: both, uh, but I don't want to push it, you know, push too hard. Like, okay, this is what you have to do to get better. Uh, right now, it's just, hey, you know what? Yeah. Think about, can something take you? And then that's all i say for my son and my daughter. She just moves the pieces around and has a great time with it. <laughs>
0: Nice. Yeah, that's where we were for a while. I got my daughter the Polgar Defensive book. And what's so great about it is there's just a whole, there's like a hundred puzzles that are just you have a piece hanging, move it to a square where it's not hanging. And so it's not really like a chess puzzle, chess puzzle. And she really enjoyed those because they were very easy for her. And it just kind of trained her a little bit more to start looking for hanging pieces. And just that alone, I feel like, has really cut down on uh, the amount of time she hangs pieces. So that, that was, that's just a suggestion that I have for anyone out there who's struggling a bit with hanging pieces. It'll be easy, and you'll be like, this is a waste. But just focusing that much on hanging pieces, I feel like does something to your brain where it just shifts it into a mode. Oh, I'm supposed to look for this regularly. Okay, I can do that.
1: Yeah, and then you recognize it and you're dropping pieces left off, uh, less often. Exactly.
0: And shockingly, I mean, when you drop less pieces, you do
1: better. Yeah, it was weird. I think that was my biggest jump between 1,000 and 1,300 was just uh, stop hanging pieces so easily.
0: Yeah, I, I play a lot of people, say, on my stream and my students at school, and that's what, that's what I found. I found that 1,000-level players are usually quite good at chess. And you can sit down with them and be like, wow, this person's amazing. And then they just overlook that one thing and they hang a piece. And you're like, okay, there we go. That's that's why you're still a 1,000. You're still working through that phase of your game. And when you come out of that, you're going to be a lot better. Uh, okay, so we've heard some videos. Gotham Chess, um, Uh, How about books? The only book I've heard is uh, the, what is it? The Amateur to I Am are you just not really a book learner guide? You really gravitate towards videos, or are there some other books you've uh, been working with?
1: Um, so I I really do like having uh, the video system and having someone, even even though it's not a personalized lesson per se, it you know I I feel like. I can listen to them and take it as like a, a class that I'm taking. Mm. Um, so I really do gravitate towards the videos. I do have the amateur I am and the other book that I, the other chess book that I did buy, is um, uh, mayhem and the Mora. Oh, okay. uh, So the uh, Smith more Gambit opening book by, I think it's Mark Esserman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of slowly going through that. And I don't even play the Smith Mora. Like against the Sicilian, wow.
0: interesting. But
1: um, I've I played it for a little while and I enjoyed it. But I like looking through it because there are so many. Hmm. There's so many tactical solutions for things that yeah. I I feel like I'm learning from, learning from the positions, even though it's it's focused on an opening book, or it's focused on opening lines, because it's looking at all these different tasks tactical justifications. And that's really helped me see um ways, you know, fun sacrifices for the night where I can capture back with the pawn. And that opens up a discovered check on the king and lets me pick up, you know, another piece, getting my piece back with interest. And now they're kings in the middle or something like that. Yeah. Um I I like that. Um and I maybe I will eventually play the Mora, but right now I have the little system that I like playing, you know, A3 against the uh, hmm. E4, C5, and then A3. Um, kind of like a delayed wing gambit.
0: Yeah, interesting. Also, your opponents are like, what? That's not the right move, man. What are you doing?
1: Exactly. Then everyone gets frustrated. And they're like, I had one guy actually in chat um, start getting so angry uh, because I he's like, why can't you just play the open Sicilian? And I was like, well, clearly he's done a lot of studying. Like he studied his Nidorf course, like really in depth. Yep,
0: that's why I sorry. stopped playing the Sicilian. I was a Nidorf player, and uh, everyone had their own pet line against the Nidorf. That was not the Open Sicilian, and I was like, "So I'm really going to spend all this time learning the Nidorf, and I'm never going to play it. This is a waste of my time." So, sorry, Nidorf. One day I'll be. One day when I actually get good at chess, and I, and and everyone plays the Open Sicilian, then I'll jump back into the Nidorf.
1: Exactly. That's kind of how I feel. Like someday, maybe I'll get good enough that I'll, I'll learn these main lines. Yeah. But right now, I just need to learn all my tactics still.
0: Yeah, makes sense to me. Um, I guess if we had to put some numbers on things, uh, how much time would you say you have a day or a week to look at chess stuff?
1: Um, I try and probably counting like videos and games and stuff like that. I'd guess like two to three hours.
0: Okay. That's pretty good. Two Um, to three hours a day.
1: Yeah. Because like, uh, I'm a teacher. So during my plan period, even if I'm, uh, grading some papers, I have a video going that I'm listening to and kind Mm -hmm. of analyzing positions or, you know, during my lunch, uh, I have students that will come in we'll play a couple games of chess on my board in the room. Um, so I'd say probably two to three hours, give or take. Um, some days less some days more depending on uh family events or like if i think one was uh i was riding to uh miami with a friend and he just wasn't talking so i just played chess for 3 hours while he drove <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay maybe he was playing chess also while he was driving
1: that would explain a lot about his driving okay there we go there we go um mystery solved
0: you said when you're When you are doing your chess time, were you saying you were doing like 90% playing? Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, probably 90% playing, honestly. Um, And, ten, you know, well, I would say like 80% playing, 10% watching videos, and then 10% studying Mm. um, of actually studying, you know, a middle games course or something like that. Uh, I really do like Levy Rosman's stuff, his different uh, golfing courses that he has. So he's, he came up with this middle games masterclass is what it uh, I think is what he calls it. But I, I go through and we analyze different uh, positions of like Carlson's games or his own games and looking for different themes of how do you make a plan? Like when nice. you're in the middle game, and I think that's one thing that I've been focusing on a lot lately is, is going through this, how to make a plan chapter yeah is because that has been, I felt like was stopping me from improving for a while was i'm like okay i got i got these seven moves out that i know what to do yeah now what
0: yeah and i also have a lot of tactical ideas as soon as tactics appear i'm ready but how do i bridge from the opening to the tactics
1: exactly yeah um and so that one was so that's been something really good and also that's something that i really feel like uh Naroditsky does well with his uh, Sensei Speedrun games uh, on YouTube, his different series that he's he's run through. Some of are more focused on openings. Some are more focused on tactical games or positional games. Uh, but he, I really like the way he explains things. And it's like, hey, he's emphasized this idea so many times. You don't have to, like, you're not planning on winning. This one move is not going to win you the game more often than not. You yeah. don't have a, a clear idea of what you need to do. Well, why don't you just develop another piece? Bring your rook to the center. You know, these these things that we know that we should do, but then in the game, you just kind of overlook it. And you're like, man, I could have used that tempo to bring my rook, for, you know, to A to E1. And yeah. it's like, and I missed that one chance to do it. And now my rook's out of the game for forever when it could have been more involved.
0: Yeah. And instead, I had this really elaborate, cool plan that didn't work at all.
1: <laughs> exactly yeah yeah i was such a genius and then um i was like wow why didn't that not work i'm like let's review it with stockfish And stockfish is like yeah that was never going to work i don't know what you thought you saw it did not exist
0: yeah. i've gotten pretty good at playing sort of like simpler chess but then every now and then i just lose my mind and come up with this very elaborate plan and they never work and my coach is always like i don't understand how that was even a plan like, you said you wanted to attack your opponent, but you weren't in a position to do that. And I was like, I know, but I wanted
1: to. And he's like, these don't go together. I, I think that has been something that's been a struggle for me is because I love to be an attacking player. Like, I, I want to attack. But sometimes the position just isn't there. And yeah. you need to just trade off the pieces, and you're up a pawn in a winning endgame, trade off the pieces and, and simplify but that's not what I want to do. I want to checkmate the other guy. Yeah. I want to sacrifice the queen and get some like <laughs> double bishop mate. Like, I mean, come on, let's go.
0: <laughs> yeah, Where, where's
1: my help. immortal game? That's what I'm looking for oh, here.
0: Oh, yeah, I still haven't had an immortal game. Unless my immortal game is trading down to a one-end game. I don't have an immortal
1: game. Yeah, me either. So I'm right there with you.
0: <laughs> oh boy. Well. As we're finishing up here, Brad, what would you say are the goals that you have in chess? Do you have like ratings-oriented goals? Do you have process-oriented goals? How do you think about your journey and where you're going?
1: So I look at chess as like something I'm going to be doing for a very long time because it's something I can do for a very long time without the physical limitations, Um, and it's never easier to study chess than it's never been easier than it is now. Uh, with all the materials and all the different websites. Um, so I I have kind of a, uh, you know, an audacious goal being as I'm currently 1100 USCF or 1180 or whatever. Um, and my goal is to break 2000 USCF. That is my, and I don't put it as a short-term goal. That's like my lifetime goal is I want to get to 2K, USCF, over the board, classical rated player that's that's my goal and you know if it takes me the next 20 years to do it cool if i never get there maybe i'll get to 1800 maybe i'll get close you know
0: yeah that sounds good i like it that seems like an attainable goal and you haven't put a timeline on it so for all you know you will make it because even when you're 80 you'll be like hey it's lifetime goal i got more time
1: exactly and that was actually one of the against the uh the game the third game where i i come back with the four pawns i was playing against like a 75 year old man who had been destroying me this whole game yeah yeah that's, and that's so you could just get there eventually
0: yeah exactly i actually turn 50 this year which means i can play in senior events i'm not sure if i'm supposed to be insulted by that or excited by the notion of playing in senior events so I'm definitely gonna try them out. It sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Anytime there's more more chess, I think you just go with the positives. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying too. All right, Brad. Well, thanks so much for coming on. This has been such a great conversation to hear how you were able to improve quite a bit over a short time. It sounds like with a lot of playing and a lot of chess.
1: Yeah, I I figured, you know, studying is fun and everything, but what do I love the most about the game? That's just playing games. So yeah. Maybe it's not the most efficient way to get better, but it's fun.
0: I guess there is one last question I didn't ask you, which is what time controls are you mainly playing? It sounds like a variety, as you have different um time frames you're working with. Like in in the middle of a school day, are you only able to fit in like a blitz game, and then you do rapid at night? What what kind of controls do you do?
1: Actually, that's a pretty accurate assumption. During the day, I'll, I'm more likely to play a blitz game. Like a uh, if I'm on a computer, I like 3-0. Uh, but if I'm on my phone because the lag there, I'll pl- always play with increments. So I'll play a three plus two. Uh, okay. And then later on in the evenings, uh, I'll play either a 10.0 or a 15 plus 10.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds very similar to what I do. If I can, if I have time to play a 15, 10, that's what I do. And then when I don't, maybe it's a five, five. And if I'm, if I'm feeling especially alert, maybe a three, two. Three, two, though, whew, that's tough for me. That's tough for me. That's like Ultra Blitz.
1: Oh no, three oh is where it's at. I I that's my favorite time control is the is the three-o games. You get the f- dirty flag and opponent at the end of the game. I don't care that you're up two queens. I'm not <laughs> resigning. Let's go, buddy. Let's see how well <laughs> the mouse skills work.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was I played at the coffee chest thing yesterday and the and it's five-o is the time control. And I don't know what happened. In one of the games, we each had about 40 seconds, and I just got enamored by the position. And I forgot we were playing a 5-0 game (laughs) and like 35 seconds go by and he kind of gives me this look and looks at my clock and I'm like, oh, wow, I only have 15 seconds left and I obviously lost on time. It was very ridiculous. And my opponent was just completely flabbergasted that I just kind of forgot we were playing a blitz match. So, oh, well,
1: well, no, no, you didn't forget. You just you froze up. It was a dingley Wren moment. Okay.
0: (laughs) apparently it was all right brad well thanks so much for coming on the show today uh i wish you luck in your journey it sounds like it's been a good one so far and since we have a whole lifetime i don't see why you won't get to 2000
1: all right thank you so much
0: all right to everyone out there uh i hope this is the week where you make great strides towards your rating goals but if you lose 100 points in your uscf rating like i did you don't have to quit okay it's all right you'll get them back this is the way i'm looking at it now when i play in 1800 i am way lower rated than them than basically being the same rating as them so i don't know It's, it's a positive and everything i guess all right i'll see y'all next time bye everybody